Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In Book 19 of The City of God, Augustine is fundamentally concerned with determining what the final end or the supreme good for human beings would be. And he notes that there is a great diversity of beliefs and opinions. He says philosophers have expressed a variety of these regarding the ends of goods and evils. And this question they have eagerly canvassed so that they might, if possible, discover what makes a human being being happy, genuinely fulfilled. And he refers to Varro, somebody who Augustine brings up quite often. Unfortunately, we don't have the work that he's referring to, De Philosophia. Actually, we don't have anything by Varro that has survived antiquity. And in that book, Varro sets out a classification for all the different possible points of view that philosophers either did have or could have about how we ought to live our life, how we ought to orient ourselves towards that which is ultimately going to make us happy. And he comes up with 288 sects, as it's being called here, of philosophers. This term sects, we probably ought to dwell upon a little bit because for many of us in the present, this term has the connotation of a religious group that one would belong to. Generally, a small group that has quite a tight membership and some strong beliefs and doctrines and discipline. In earlier times, the word that we're actually translating here as sects in Greek is hyresis, which comes from the word hyrein to grab or to choose or to select. And it was quite common in ancient times both to talk about philosophers and to talk about religious people as belonging to a hieresis, to belonging to a sect. What did they mean by that? A choice of what was really fundamental, what oriented oneself, whether it's one's beliefs or one's actions or a combination of the two. And you can understand philosophical movements and schools and ways of approaching things, what we call perspectives, as very much analogous to those of religions of the time, because those had to do with how you lived your life as well and the beliefs that you were following. So how does he come up with 288 philosophical sects? There is a process of multiplication that we can go through. So let's actually follow out Varro's depiction of how this takes place, according to Augustine. We can begin by asking the question, what is it that we human beings really fundamentally desire? What drives us? And Varro distinguishes four possibilities. Now, of course, could we come up with other possibilities on our own? Yes, we could. We're not saying that he necessarily covered the entire gamut here, but we don't need to worry about whether he did or not. Let's just follow out and see where this goes. So one possibility of what fundamentally motivates us, what drives us is pleasure. Another possibility, repose or rest or an absence of pain, an absence of trouble. Another possibility would be both. 
Think about the Epicureans, for example, who weren't just pursuing pleasure, but also freedom from pain as well, and who saw the highest pleasures to reside in, in rest. And then there's what he calls the primary objects of nature. And this was a common classification. If you read through much ancient moral theory, you will see references to this class. And it includes everything from our bodies and what sustains them to these sort of basic drives that go beyond the pleasure or rest thing and have to do with fulfilling what our bodily nature is about. So we've got four things that we could desire. So, so far, so good. Now, we have another thing that human beings recognize as desirable, as valuable, as good, and that's virtue, moral virtue. And we can ask ourselves the question, do we in fact desire virtue, first of all, for its own account, virtue and the virtues, specific modes of virtue, or do we desire it for the sake of something else, right? Do we desire virtue for pleasure or for pose or rest, be virtuous so that we don't run into problems or because it's these primary objects of nature that are driving us? Or do we desire these things for the sake of pleasure or are they going on two different tracks where we desire pleasure or we desire the primary objects of nature for their own sake, but we also desire virtue for its own sake. Now we have 12, right? We have a greater number of possibilities. Then we can ask a further question, which widens the scope from ourselves as individuals to encompass other human beings. The things that we desire, whatever arrangement we happen to have of these original desires and then virtue, are we desiring it for our sake alone or are we desiring it for some companions as well? Those companions could be friends, they could be neighbors, they could be members of our family, they could be the entire world as such, they could be whoever happens to be in relation to me. But this is a division that we can make and now we're multiplying it yet further. You can see how quickly this category list is expanding. Then he brings up the ancient skeptic school, the academy, Plato's academy that is after Polomo, before it was redeveloped into a genuinely platonic school. And we can say, are you holding this viewpoint as absolutely certain or are you holding it as merely probable? Then he brings up another philosophical school and says, okay, so all of this other stuff, how are you going to live this out? Are you going to live the mode of the life of the cynics? And what he means by this is traveling around without any sort of fixed abode, begging, inviting yourself into things, not having any real participation in the normal institutions of life. Although there was a cynic who was, or two cynics, of course, who were married, Hipparchia and Krates, right? Or are are you going to live like other philosophers? That is, are you going to have a bank account? Are you going to have a house? Are you going to have a fixed residence where you would reside? And notice how many different courses we already have, how many sects or hierases. Then we can go on and ask yet another question, which gets us to the full extent of this. Should you be involved in an active life? And an active life means a life devoted to business, devoted to your country or your culture or your city, or perhaps even just your family, a life of, as we say, affairs, or is it better to live this out in a life of study and contemplation, removing yourself from 
all of these other things? Or should you live a mixed life that combines these two that in some ways determines when you ought to be active and when you ought to be contemplative, uh, what Zeno called as opposed to the active life or the contemplative life, the rational life, right? So now we've got this massive number of different possibilities. And Augustine goes on and he says that Varro himself refuted all of the, the rest of the sects and chose one, the old academy institute by Plato, continuing on to Polemo. And he said that, you know, that was the group that he was going to select. Now, Augustine is going to bring up something else that in some ways makes all of these distinctions less useful. He says that a genuine sect, a genuine hieresis, a genuine choice, fundamental choice about how you orient yourself, it's only going to differ from the other schools about the supreme or the final good. But most of these other things in here, like whether you live like a cynic or whether you regard it as merely probable, most of those things have to do with how we orient ourselves towards the final good. They don't tell us what the final good itself is. So we actually could get rid of many of these distinctions and we would be quite fine. So Varro himself says, let's look at it in terms of what a human being is. And so we could think of it in terms of body and soul. The human being is a composite of body and soul. So we might think in terms of the good of the body, right? The primary objects of nature, because he actually ends up rolling pleasure, repose both into the primary objects of nature. He simplifies it a bit. Or we could think of the good of the soul, which is virtue. No longer just pleasure or something like that, but actual moral rectitude, rightness, the sort of habits that make us a good person, then we could also think about it in terms of the good of the body combined with the, the good of the soul. And, you know, this allows us to say that it's neither the soul alone nor the body alone, both together, the body and soul each being apart. So of these, Varro chooses the third, that the human being is both together. Therefore, the highest good in which lies the happiness of human beings is composed of goods of both kind, both bodily and spiritual, so that the primary objects of nature, whatever those happen to be, would be among the goods that comprise the final end or final good and moral virtue. So you're rolling two things in together as a kind of composite of what the good for human beings look like. Now, Augustine himself is going to reject this and say that the good, the supreme good for human beings, the final end, cannot lie in any of these things. But he is following Varro's analysis up to the point where he is going to make that very important distinction that takes him beyond this classification that he spends several chapters at the beginning of book 19 unpacking. So now you can see what he's doing with this as well as what all of these seemingly innumerable distinctions and oppositions actually amount to. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, 
keep studying these great philosophical works.